Hello, welcome to MySpot Talks. I'm Chetan Shah, hosting a series of podcasts for the global events industry. In this extended talk session, the E of May, dedicated to corporate event planners, talk about the return to live from the corporate perspective. Okay, everybody, so um, just a quick introduction of, of what we're here to talk about and a little bit about um, you know where, how we've come to this position and everything else. Um, and I said, please, if you've got any questions to ask, ask them in the chat box. I can bring you into the conversation live towards the end if you want to ask a question to the panel. Um, but, you know, as, as uh, John just mentioned there, you know, our, our industry has fallen off the shelf, worth 70 billion to the UK economy, um, fell off the shelf in March. It's affected thousands of people and businesses, and everyone is keen uh, to get live back, back into um, the business. Um, but what is live and what is the new norm going to be? Um, with my EMA hat on, I sit on the board of the BVEP uh, with fellow industry associations. Um, the the BVEP have been engaged with the DCMS, that's the Department of Digital, Cultural, Media and Sports, to push a number of key issues and challenges in government. Um, one of our associations, Meeting Industry Association, have recently completed a new paper um, cross-industry piece of research that has gone with some strong recommendations um, into government, uh, which if we're on the radio earlier, you'd have heard that they're really now talking about it. And this is about the reduction of distance rule from two metres to one metre or less. And of course, it's now getting battered backwards and forwards across the commons and um, with Boris saying yes to what, you know, wanting to lower when we can. But of course, now everybody attacking him for it. Um, so when, when are we going to get back? We don't know, but um, hopefully we will have some information on that shortly. Um, EMA ourselves, we did some research, we, uh, talking to our members and getting a general view of the market and we'll be slow to return uh, whilst some considering activity in quarter four of this year. The majority, are look, majority of our members are looking at events and activities next year. Um, the view is, is until a vaccine is in circulation, technology will lead activity, meaning live streamings, webinars will be the, the norm with the introduction of live, which our panel will talk about um, as and when we're able to introduce that. Um, so we can talk about a little bit about what we're already up to. Um, and as that, what we of EMA have done is we set up a working group uh, which Anna and Christopher uh, sit on um, with another colleague from Goldman Sachs, Mark Gill, who unfortunately couldn't join us today. And together they're drawing up some guidelines of best practices and recommendations to share with our members in a week or so. These are not official. Um, each, each member will need to adapt those and create their own policy to fit. But our objective is that this is a collaboration of working together and how we can share and speed up the speed up the process and take it. You know, we're grateful for all input from members. If anybody's got anything to add, to throw into the mix, um, reach out to any of us, have that discussion, or you know, send to me and I'll forward. So to get that to get things kicked off, um, uh, yeah, Christopher, can I hand over to you to give us a top line of where you are with stuff? Yes, thank you for that, Richard, um, and thank you for everybody um, who's joining us. Um, where we are at the moment, um, so 
Um, as Richard mentioned, um, the group consists of um, Anna Fox um, from Liberty Glo Global, um, Mark Gill um, from... Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs, apologies, um, and myself. Um, and we are he each heading up um, a work stream each. Um, so we're looking at it from a case of pre-event, um, what do you need to do um, before, what answers do you need to, what questions do you need to ask, um, and what the legalities are. Um, that's headed up by Anna. Um, Mark is heading up um, venues, so what venues are going to be needing to be doing differently um, before we sign in um, and we work with them. Um, and myself, I'm looking at, along with um, my cohorts, um, what actually we need to be doing when we're on site. Um, at the moment, um, we've really spent the last week, week and a half, going through the vast, vast, vast amounts of different white papers that we've been receiving, um, documents that we've been receiving from venues um, and hotels, talking about what they're working on. Um, so it's really just been about, about the last 10 days digesting all the information that we've got through um, and picking up common threads um, and which parts of these that the information we can work with going forward. Excellent. Okay. I know you're going to ask me at one point, can you share your share the screen? So I had a couple of slides for you, but I thought I could, but it doesn't seem like I can, Christopher. So um, that's struggling with that. So if we get to the point where we talk about the triangle, I think you'll have to help people visualize that. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so as a group, we are making some assumptions. So those assumptions are travel. People are going to be able to travel there. Um, that will generally be um, internal um, UK travel at the moment, um, unless they do want to go to, through to the self-quarantine piece. Um, the second part that we're going to be looking, that we're going to be assuming, um, is that there, people are going to be able to have accommodation um, as and at the venues where we're going to be holding the events. Um, and the third part that we're making assumptions on at the moment is social distancing will decrease at some point. So whether or not that will be down to a meter or lower to a meter, um, social distancing will be decreasing. Um, we've split the events into um, a pyramid shape. Um, first part of that pyramid is events from 0 to 50. Um, so these are the events that we could see re returning um, maybe in the next six months, but probably the last three months of this year. Um, so that 0 to 50 will take into account your um, CEO meetings, um, it could take into account um, a socially distanced dinner where people are sat down, um, but it will be a number between about 0 and 50. Um, the second number that we're looking at will be the sort of 50 to 150 straight 200 people. Um, those type of events we do see um, returning at the earliest, probably from about the beginning of next year, realistically. Um, so that, that's that's the events that we see are they're going to be the, most of the events we do the ones the ones that will fit in with fit in with venues at the moment. Um, the last part of that pyramid was the large mass scale of events, so that would be um, five hundred people and over. Um, those types of events have currently been tackled by the World Health Organization. Um, they've got a great page at the moment where it talks through the risk assessments um, and what people will need to be thinking about those events when we do start them. Okay, so Christopher, jumping in there, the what what you're going to talk about now, you and Anna, is the the centre of that triangle. Yeah, the the you know we're going to sort of focus the conversation and the work that we're doing is around that sort of 
50 to 200 conferences and meetings, yeah? Yes, yes, okay, that's correct. Um, Anna, would you like to, Anna, would you like to go first? Well, before we jump on that, what, where are we on key dates and deliverables? Because we were talking, you know, we want to take something for um, them. So um, so we would get something out to the membership um, about the 22nd of June. So our, our three strands will be finished probably by the end of next week. Um, we'll then share something with the membership by the 22nd. Um, and we then expect to be able to get something up on the website um, for people to look at from around about the 29th. So that's when we'll then be able to share with um, venues venues and organizations etc. Yeah, we want to sit we want to get around the table with the other side of the with the venues and the agencies to discuss our thinking and approach mm -hmm. to make sure that fits with what their approach is, yeah? Yes, very very much so. Very very much so. Okay. So Anna, you're you're leading on the pre-event details. So presumably that's the registration, the contracts. Um, yeah the force majeure, which, which everyone's going yeah. to be interested in. So up, update us on that. Where, where are you on that and your approach? Well, I guess that whole process, I mean, for me, it's it's about a journey and looking at every step of the process, just like you would from concept to completion of an event. And I think we need to look at this in the same way, in, in the way in which we tackle the new procedures that we're going to have to put in place. And I think people's fears are going to be one of the biggest hurdles of getting back to normal. So we do have a duty of care to reassure our delegates, whether internal or external uh, clients, reassure them of the steps and measures and the processes that we put in place in advance of the event. Um, I think business leaders will look to event professionals um, in order to show that they've looked at risk assessments and crisis management, and that's been thought of before you can even deliver an event. And I think now is the time to put a policy in place, particularly, particularly if other parts of the business manage events. Um, if you don't have a core central events team, for example, and there's EAs or other parts of the business that are managing events as well. So they will need to also follow the procedure or the policy to ensure all the risks have been mitigated. So there's no recourse. Um, you know, there's nothing that's going to come back basically in the events team or anything in the business that you've not thought of things. Um, and I think also there's a risk of events being a challenge with businesses and they're going to be the last thing to return. And I think as industry professionals as or the in-house professionals, we need to be better at championing live events. There's a huge benefit to them, the face-to-face -face events, interactive events, um, and making sure that we are a champion for them and bringing them back in the right way. So for joining instructions, I think, or any pre-event registration, um, again, I think there needs to be a paragraph, certainly for the joint instructions that I write and send out, there needs to be a paragraph of reassurance on how we're going to safeguard employees during the event um, in the run-up to that. So I think that would just need to be a paragraph of the steps that we've taken, how we're working with the venues, what they can expect to see on site, how things might have changed as well from what they're used to having or used to seeing on site. So I think that reassurance has to come from us uh, first and foremost. But then there's also about their behaviours as well and how we would expect them to behave on site. Um, and I think we're all used to now, uh, you know, going to the supermarket and the social distancing and Whilst the guidelines will probably decrease in terms of that space, again, I think there's that perception on site 
um, and making sure that delegates feel safe when they're there. In your pre-registration, now there's not any official guidelines that have come out yet regarding GDPR and what we can ask in advance. Um, so we're still wait, waiting on the guidelines, but I think we need to be mindful of what we can ask around temperature checks or whether they declare if they've been to um, a country that might be a high risk. So I think we need to be mindful of that as well. And then in terms of um, the legal, I mean, that's, you know, that's a whole other thing that we need to look into, but force majeure and the way that that's written historically hasn't included pandemics. There's very few contracts that I've seen that have included pandemics and it's likely they're going to be rewritten to include pandemics because companies are, are you know, they're not going to uh, want to cancel and go through this again the way that they have before. Um, so there's a lot around the cancellation policy. And I think if you have an internal um, legal team, have them look over the contracts to check for the force majeure to make sure you understand what you're liable for, what we're liable for, what the venue's liable for, and any potential consequences. Um, that could have a real negative effect on the business or the brand of the venue as well, if that's not adhered to. And also just to check, um, are you legally supported by the business to sign events contracts? And on behalf of the company, I know that I am not. We have two people in our London office, very senior guys that sign all of our contracts and we do go through all the appropriate channels with our legal team to check all of the terms and conditions. Now they're gonna be really honing in on force majeure as well. So there could be a separate addendum that you want to include um, just to kind of safeguard yourself in terms of cancellation. Um, we've looked briefly also into event insurance and as it's unlikely to cover pandemics because insurance companies are just not gonna to want to pay out. So that's another thing that we need to be mindful of when we're contracting with venues. Um, there could be negotiations in terms of our venues or suppliers willing to defer if we do get a second wave of this or if an no, event needs to cancel again, will they be willing to defer and say, right, we will rebook within 12 months, then you guarantee the business to that venue. So I think venues are going to be not as hardline about it, but try to work with us because ultimately they don't want to lose the business nor the relationships that you've built up as well. Um, I think we're going to have to relearn on site our guest welcome experience as well. So it's implementing new procedures for arrival, for registration, for your breakout periods. Um, it could be you want to look at where you would normally have uh, like your breakouts, for example. You might not want to go to a venue where there is a shared foyer area and everyone's got their own individual um, areas for their tea and coffee breaks, you might want to have sort of a private or exclusive use. So that's another consideration, I think, in terms of what you're looking at in venues and how you safeguard your employees on site as well. So, so let me just let me just jump in there and to the audience, if the chat function is working, because I can't see anybody, only a few people are throwing some chat in there. Um, but a, a lot of the stuff, as you're now starting to develop the process, is asking the questions, what if? What mm. if? So, you know, can we ask the questions of an attendee before they attend? You know, um, have you been self-isolated or are you clear? Do you have any health issues? Because it's got there's been like advice to people and then directing them saying, you know, well, if you if you have health health issues, perhaps you shouldn't attend, but you can presume you will be able to join through streaming. Yeah. 
and so it's that's part of the gdpr stuff isn't it of what you can add yeah. and what you can dictate or persuade people with um as well as and i think until the guidelines come out you know we can only make assumptions now but that could vary from different companies as well as to what they're willing to ask in advance yeah but i don't think we're going to get detailed guidelines from government yeah. it's going to be left to us to make the our own like i sort of said guidelines around mm -hmm. certain things you know, there'll be advice the government advice is that you know if you're a if you're a um, person with a high level of, of potential danger then you shouldn't go out so our communication to those people is that if you are of this category then please join us by on webinar you know don't attend that sort of stuff yeah. um on the other side so like i'm giving you a scenario so if a which we don't know the answer i'm assuming if, but if the, if a venue was to or a hotel have COVID-19 discovered in its venue whilst we're in there or the day before and it had to shut down what would you perceive the outcome to be from that or how would you look to work that into a an agreement or contract yeah of course and that's something that's that's probably fairly bespoke I'd imagine to the organization and the type of events that that you're doing as well but that's where you would need to get kind of Get the legal advice or have an internal team or an external team and just kind of understand even from the venue what that means for your events and your terms and conditions okay so um all right so those are the things that we're going to sort of be coaxing out in this process yeah. to sort of have some guidelines to make sure that we've covered on this or that you're addressing this because i'm going to say presumably and that's where we need to talk to the venues about is that if you've got a booking in place you want that booking to happen if it's but it, if there's another peak we're probably going to want to cancel that and walk away from it and not necessarily be held to reinstate that event in six months time because pulling all of those elements together to do in six months time is not easy and you've probably got something else in six months time yeah, yeah? so it's not like we just reinvent this event we'd have to go You'd have to go virtual with that event which you which is probably where the, where we are with the hybrid isn't it so yeah. you still have your event you must might not have it at a venue yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely or there's the hybrid option if people are not comfortable traveling and that could be something that you gauge in the lead up to the event if you know that you're going to put an event on and you're comfortable that it's safe that you've checked the venue that you've made you've considered all the options you might want to consider a pre event survey to get a gauge from people are they willing to travel if they're international delegates um would they be willing to travel just so you can have an idea of numbers and then maybe look at the venue to see well what's their av capabilities what could they do in terms of a live link so that people shouldn't people shouldn't have to miss out so it's creating that hybrid for those that do want to attend in person versus those sessions that you might want to do that are via a live link yeah, and we'll talk about the potential for what different types of events. So we talked about the hub and spoke. So it might be a central production out to three or four smaller events um, in other countries, in other cities or across Europe or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so Christopher, take me now into what we're doing from a sort of the supply base, um, just looking at presumably that's 
venues and everything else. I think you're going to cover off on Mark's side where he was looking at all the different suppliers and agreements with suppliers, um, as well as then what you're looking at is then how we interact and function on on site. Mm -hmm. um, so Mark's group, um, they're going through a number of supplier considerations. Um, the very, very, very first thing they're going to be looking at is what is that venue's COVID-19 policy um, and are, are they sharing it with their customers as well? So that, that's literally going to be the starting point of everything that we work with when we're working with, when we're working with um, suppliers. Um, so we would expect people to have that now. Um, we would expect it to be on their website. We'd expect them to be communicating with their, with their, regular, with their regular customers that come to their venues as well. Um, supplier considerations is also going to be events budget. Um, so there's going to be less people um, in these spaces. Um, there's probably going to be more likely to be um, higher running costs as well because you're looking at extra cleaning staff, you're looking at maybe bathroom staff, um, you're looking at you're just looking at extra bodies on the floor um, from start to finish for these things with a reduced number of people. Um, so events budget is going to be a big consideration um, when we when we start talking to venues as well. Um, we're going to be looking, as Anna mentioned, um, venue contracting. So what would happen if there was a further lockdown when your event was was um, booked in three months' time if we do get a second wave indeed? Um, I brief, totally briefed on, we're going to be looking at venues' capacities. Um, so most venues that we're speaking to currently are probably going to be operating at about 25 to 30% capacity as well. Um, so we're going to be looking at how these rooms are going to be spaced out, um, how they're going to be managing people that are going to be on site as well. Um, other things we're going to be looking at when speaking to venues is what other events are taking place at the same time. Um, we're obviously going to be um, managing our own people that are at these events as well. But if there's two or three going place in a large venue that you're looking at, they manage the flow and how will they how will they work how will they work out how will these people um we're going to be looking at catering um so format of catering breaks um so thoughts at the moment seem to be that china cups will be a no-go it will be disposable um cups and lids that are used for people food is going to be pre-packaged so the piles of fruit and cookies and everything that we're used to with tea and coffee breaks or indeed the buffet lunches, um, or then going into canapes, etc. in the evening. Um, so that's that's all going to have to change, and that's all going to have to. Christopher, let me take well. a step back then. Um, can, we then can jump to... step back into um, your suppliers. Uh, so many many corporates. So mm -hmm. both of you probably have your preferred suppliers. Let's say from a production point of view, um, I. Are you still going to be mm -hmm. looking or to take those in on site? And do you um, envisage difficulties? Again, this probably fits back into your area, Anna, and everything else. But if you want to take your production crew in, are the hotels going to be saying, yes, you can or no, you can't? Or these are the people that can come in and can't? Because that, again, is potentially bringing people and equipment onto site that aren't necessarily under, I'm thinking alive now, so this is alive, um, not necessarily under the auspice of the hotel, for example. Mm -hmm. So who's accountable, who's responsible? 
if they were to bring something in? Yeah, I think we're going to see more strict measures in preferred suppliers. I think a lot of venues, um, you know, we're already hearing murmurings of restaurants having this kind of like that food safety sticker that you get in the window of being a five on the food, you know, scale of a COVID secure um, restaurant or venue and that they will test um, employees prior temperature checks or whatever it is so that they know that all of their staff on site are safe. And so it could be that you won't even make it onto a preferred supplier list if those suppliers don't adhere to the same um, tests that the venue are expecting. So they might not let random suppliers come in. So I might have a preferred supplier, but if they don't adhere to the venue guidelines, it could be that we can't work with them on site. So I think that's something that we need to be mindful of. Um, and I think venues are going to be more strict with that. Particularly. So you think about it, that's an interesting conversation, isn't it, to have around the table with hoteliers and agencies mm. that, you know, the question would be is that, well, okay, if you can't use your preferred supplier, would you come to our venue or, you know, no, we'll be happy to work with your preferred supplier because this, these are the, um, the restrictions that you have put in place. Because I know that production is so personal yeah yeah it's you know it's you know you know your producer you know your your core crew you know yeah. you know the guys that are doing that job for you they're running the floor of the, of the conference for you yeah uh, as you're looking after everything else yeah absolutely but there's already a lot of venues that will only work to a preferred supplier list right so, and you have to use one of their you know av guys their technicians or whoever it is that you're bringing in so but then I would also hope that they have gone through the same measures and they're just as strict with that. Um, you know, just like they have to provide risk assessments and everything in advance anyway. I think that's just going to be another layer, isn't it? Yeah, it might be that if we've got our um, awful word, a pet producer, so the one that, you know, that one person in that room that we 110% trust, it's okay, we want to bring that person in to work alongside your in house production. Yeah. Your thoughts on that, Christopher? Yeah, yeah, I can. I completely agree. It's, it's such a personal, personal thing. Um, and again, when, when we start speaking, when we start speaking to external suppliers, whether or not that be speaker or whether or not that be an AV crew, um, it's going to be very much a conversation around what what do they do and how can they how can they ensure us that they're acting in a safe way and also amongst each other as well. So there's going to be this whole a lot of crews work with casual staff that might have come from one job to from one job the day before to another job where you are how are they going to be managing so i think for me it's going to be a lot more questioning when i when i speak to people um to, to work out how how these people are assembled um have they been have they been in public spaces have they been in any danger were there any venues where they've been in that outbreaks have happened so it's, there's going to be a lot more questioning and a lot more communication between people yeah. okay yeah. so then um, other things on our list, yeah. so we're going to be looking at everything from face masks to sanitising stations to venue layout, venue staffing, um, even the way down to cloak rooms, how are cloak rooms going to work? You wouldn't want your coat in a pile with 250 other coats along with your bag, etc. So it's going to be it's going to be down to that level of detail when, when we're speaking with venues about how things are managed. Um, next part on yeah. site, 
Um, so again, when we're working on site with people, um, it's going to be a very different world. Um, we're going to be looking at when people are registered, um, how they're queuing, are they keeping in distance from people. Um, the most likely is going to be that no longer a, a stray delegate that turns up, you can just add them to list without thinking about it anymore. Those considerations are going to be into account um, what you do when things like that happen. Um, we're going to be looking at keeping delegate lists probably for a lot longer after the event should everything, anything happen. And again, you've got that whole GDPR piece in mind when you're looking after those lists as well. Um, if a delegate gets poorly when they're on site, how do you get them home safely? Whose responsibility is that? Um, so it's going to be a, a lot detailed with, with when you're working with people on site as well, as well as the whole, how do you move them around the building? How many people are in a lift? How do you keep them away from each other? Is that your responsibility? Is that the venue's responsibility? So it's a, a myriad of questions about work, working with people on site. On the, Anna, going back then to your registration and stuff like that, asking people for, you know, tick the box if you have private health insurance, you know, health insurance, um, or I means unlikely to the first six months of next year, I think about overseas visitors, but even, okay, if we're going into overseas visitors that, yeah, they have health insurance or they are, they are accountable for their own health requirements, you know, because again, it's like if someone, like you say, if someone is taken sick, mm -hmm. what is the process? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that, you know, again, you would ask in advance if you're going to do either an event survey or your pre-registration, whether you go through a registration portal or have you register your delegates and again that falls back into the GDPR what can we ask them can we ask them to declare where they have traveled in the in the seven days leading up to it um, but it's also about having those um, resources on site as well so is there a sick room for example I mean in any circumstances you know if somebody falls ill at an event even before COVID what did you do with those people was there an area that was a safe place that somebody could you know, sit quietly or recover. Who's on site in terms of first aiders? Um, is it, you know, the buck, does the buck stop with the event organiser or are you always reliant on making sure the venue has got people that are in place and making sure that you've got the necessary PPE equipment um, if somebody does fall ill so you can safeguard yourself as well. I'm not saying about handing out masks. I think once live events come back, and I know we've already discussed this, for, my, for me, once live events come back, we won't be using face masks, but it's about having that if somebody should fall ill and having that, that, that backup as well. Yeah. And I think agendas need to be reconsidered. Um, you know, we're used to trying to cram in so much content into an event and going back to back to back to back with sessions. You're going to have to allow for time, as Chris said, for people to get into the lifts, to move to another part of the building for a breakout session, to now allow enough times for... Uh, time for toilet breaks um all of that has to be built in so you're not going to see as much cramming i don't think in between um you know with with the sessions you've got to allow time for people to move around safely yeah you know, large toilet queues <laughs> yeah absolutely and okay. clean best, yeah yeah so christopher are we going to do some work on event space and what would work in rooms or is that where we start to talk to the the venues will say, you know, what are your guidelines going to be? How many people can fit in this room? Mm -hmm. Yes, I mean, I mean, at the moment, with with um, two with two meters, everybody, every person is going to need to be in a four meters. 
Um, and a, a lot of the venues are going to work out if, if we are going to be returning to live quite quickly, a lot of the venues will need to be working out um, how that's going to work. I mean, the ones that I look, the ones that I would look at are the venues that are going to have presentation theatres, easily mark out fixed seats so you know how people are, are distanced away from each other. So um, for me, if, if you're a venue with a, with a presentation theatre and you can start doing that, that will give you, in, in lots of cases, a, an edge over other venues as well. Yeah, well we know... And um, also as well, we touched briefly on... Yeah, sorry, we know as in talking between ourselves and the, you know, the wider EMA leadership group and everything else, the, the two-metre rule just won't wing it. You know, yeah. you can't be walking around with a space around you of... Uh, two yes. by two meters square. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just not physically. You know, it's like a a room that would take eighty people, but um, let's say eight tables mm -hmm. of eight tables of ten will now take uh, sixteen people, two people per table. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's it. Yeah. So it ain't that ain't yeah. gonna happen. Yeah, and I don't think we would do live events if we were still under those guidelines, would we? And I think the pyramid that we had discussed. You look at the top of the pyramid, so, you know, meetings, board meetings, etc., up to sort of 25, 30 people. Um, you could comfortably do that in a space and still give one meter, one and a half meter space and have that many people around a table. It's a lot easier to herd them around, um, whether it's staggered lunch breaks or whatever you need to do it. It's easier to do that um, for that many people. But it's, yeah, it's that middle tier, isn't it, that, that we're concentrating on. I have to be mindful of how we manage and whether it's worthwhile putting that event on um, if we have to adhere still to those guidelines. Because you want the user experience to be a good experience ultimately and worthwhile to run the event. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing, does it? It comes down to the, what we did, we start talking about the pest analysis. And if we look at the psychological part of this is there is a reason for going to this event. And yeah. one is I need to feel involved and engaged in it or so be part of it get what I can from it, but it's also, you know, the networking, the talking to one another. I can't, mm. if I have to do that by shouting across a room to you. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, really it loses its gleam a little bit, doesn't it? But that's the assumption. We are, we're working, and I think that's key for everybody that's listening, that we are working on the assumption that the distancing rule will be, will be by the time we come back to live, will be reduced yeah. to one metre or even less, as in sort of common sense. Sorry, Krista, I've jumped on your bit there. You want to do you want to talk more about no, no, flow and no, space? Yeah, so I mean the, the ones that that seem to have got it right at the moment that I would imagine people are going to be following are going to be the supermarket models. Um, they're the ones that have worked all the way through this. Um, so it's going to be about clear direction, it's going to be about knowing how many people are in your building at that time. Um, it's going to be knowing about you're not just thinking about how many guests you've got in that room. You need to factor in how many wait staff are going to be there at the time, how many operations staff are going to be there, how many of your events team are going to be there. So when, when you're looking at capacities, the one thing I would, would say to people, don't just think about it as the amount of guests you can invite to something. Really think about how, how many people are going to be in that room at any one time. Um, and that's going to probably reduce your numbers down over that. Yeah. Um, the one area that I think is going to come out really, really top through this is tech. Um, so we touched on it briefly earlier. Um, it's now going to make a massive difference to picking one there as to how well either the tech is already in there 
um, or how easily your tech can work. Um, so when we are looking at venues, I would be asking them if you did have two cameras in there, where would those camera where would those cameramen sit? Where would your staging be um, with your new reduced numbers, etc. So um, we I think we will be very very much looking at venues um, to give us help and advice because for event managers, this is this last three months has probably moved us on five years in tech when whereas before we were just thinking of staging or front projection or back projection um now it's a whole new conversation and as event managers we've had to learn very very quickly um if you are a venue um and you know about different systems holding things to add to your event to make it more interactive I think these are going to be the things that we're going to be looking at venues to be getting help and advice on. Yeah, and as I think we've got to, again, goes probably part into Anna's role right at the beginning and your roles and how looking at this is, you know, what capability does the venue have? And pr predominantly, um, what is the, what, as they call the pipe, you know, the, the amount of um, Wi-Fi broadband that they have got to be able to broadcast out of because predominantly we will be doing so like our ema event exchange event tomorrow morning at 8 30 we have awesome from the financial times talking about how he shifted all of his events to online and that would be a great one to talk about the questions they ask at the venues to make sure that they do have the broadcast ability to be able to take what's coming out of the venue to be able to get it out get it out there you know it is at the end of the day it is the it's the pipe it's the size of their pipe and the, the amount of tech the amount of um bandwidth that is available for getting information out of the property and into the property as well because if you're beaming in and out you know you're not doing this on the back of a bt broadband home wi-fi yeah <laughs> there's a bit more a bit more capability on, on that hopefully very important that we need to know that before going in but it's, I think, yeah, it's, it is important because you want it to feel inclusive. And some people, there could be travel restrictions or there could be, you know, personal reasons that people don't feel comfortable to attend, which is why these hybrid events or having that bandwidth on site to be able to, you know, rather than flying a speaker in from the US to just be able to do a live link like we're doing now and they can still speak at a conference just as we've, you know, we've shown today that you could do the hybrid and so those that are local, if they're just regional events that we're looking at to start with, then you do that, but you can still have international delegates and you can still have international guests, but it's making sure there is that bandwidth. Yeah, and what was interesting, and just to throw in another thing, um, a friend of mine was involved in the EY Entrepreneur of the Year Awards, which were broadcast the, uh, last week. And that would normally have been in Monaco. I think there would have been like a thousand people attending or 400. It's not, you know, a, a big, but not a massive audience, everything else. And of course, they, they had to take it virtual. It touched 10, they had an audience of 10 million people watching it around the world in different time zones. And that's, I'm sure, has now increased um, with people watching it, um, you know, after the event had happened. But there they had pre-recorded parts of the presentation. They had some live presentation and it was, they did it in partnership with CNBC and it was absolutely, you know, interaction between live and pre-recorded and ran, ran yeah, pretty well. Yeah. Pretty good. At, I, give, I give them a nine out of 10 
as the first as the first event they've done mm -hmm. like that. Um, but you could also see how big your events can go. Yeah, absolutely. That's what many companies are now learning that we can touch a much much bigger audience than just the people that the delegates in the room. Yeah, absolutely. But you can also still have your breakout sessions. If you've got that live link and you've got people all over, whether it's the UK or all over the world, they will all come together in a regional capacity. So you've still got that event. And then if you need breakout sessions, they would work together in their own regions, essentially, if you wanted to do it that way as well. So I think it's about being clever about the way in which we look at events for us as event organisers and still learning. There's so much technology now. And whereas it might not have been as much of a consideration before, I think a lot of our content now is going to be driven by what we can offer um, from a technical point of view. And it's not just about the voting technology anymore and seeing it pop up on the screen, but it's about that interactive, immersive experience and how we can still offer quality events to delegates, whether they're in the room or not. Yeah, I think the, you know, one of our biggest challenges is when we start to put on our first few events, is understanding you know what our audience are going to feel like and how you know it's going to be a so instead a gamble to how many people are going to come because yeah. you know we can break down um you know the audience into different demographics yeah. and certainly there'll be generally the younger mm -hmm. people in the organizations everybody else who are keen to get back to live keen to network keen to to attend events people you know i know i know people that are climbing the walls wanting to get back to their offices um and i know other people who are like this is working this is quite nice you know i can i can, yeah. I can work well from home i'm getting stuff done it's all happening um i'm safe etc etc and there's you know so it's going to be interesting isn't it with that mixing mm -hmm. those demographics i think that's again at the on-site with the pre-event a lot of time needs to be spent in that area thinking okay is 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 a live event right for this audience yeah yeah absolutely and that's pre-event survey and the audience but it's very very when you look at the numbers if you're looking at an inter like you said richard an internal younger audience they're probably more likely to want to come back to an event um if you're looking at a sales team they're probably more interested in going out and networking with people and meeting up with other people. Um, if you were looking at an older clientele where it was just a hospitality event, they're probably less likely to come. Um, so with venues, it's a real case of really, really know your audience and, um, and the people who they invite as well. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, what is the new normal? And I think the new normal will be a better normal than what it was before, because we will all appreciate things a little bit better and, and I think people will eventually want to have that social interaction again as humans I think we need that interaction for so many reasons whether it's you know social emotional or just the mental well-being so I think businesses will look for quality they will look to us to bring new ideas and ways of working they want to have that independence and that purpose to have that event but I think people will adapt and businesses will come to adapt and we will bounce back as an industry we'll we'll get through it yeah, I, think I don't think any question there in my mind of the innovation and everything else. I just think that the, to me is uh, the exciting part of this is the, you know, the future integration of technology and being able to reach a much wider audience. Yeah. Um, because lots of times there's people who 
want to attend something, couldn't attend something because they've got something else on. There's somebody else somewhere else in the world. But hey, well, dialing into a webinar is, you know, gives me 50 to 60 percent of the value than, you know, the, the additional value is if I was to be able to attend in person. Um, I just, you know, what I'm losing mm -hmm. out on is the networking and the meeting face-to-face yeah. -face opportunities um, that arise from that. And we must get sick of the technology and the WebEx and the talking heads, you know, after a while, you know, it's already tiring, right? So, but again, I think there is a need to be able to offer that, but I think people will eventually want to get back to the social aspect, but we will all be a little bit more um, cautious as a result. All right, well, just, so guys, I am opening up the floor to questions. I haven't seen much coming into the chat room. So I don't know if anybody's got any questions they, they want to, to ask or any input that they want to give to the session. Um, you know, this is a session with EMA members. Uh, we're trying to gather information from you guys as well. But half of me tells me it's not working <laughs> properly. I don't know. Um, but other than that, you know, we will be moving over in five minutes to the to the networking um, group. So, Chris, Red, um, Anna, you got anything else you want to ask? I know we want to talk about the timeline again um, and working with. Yeah. So let's just quickly talk about. So. Yep. So we're Chris, the the engagement with the industry. So I think. Our intention is that we are going to create a webinar or a discussion group. And I would suggest we have two or three hotel groups there and maybe two or three mm -hmm. kind of events agencies and maybe a, a, a production agency. Mm -hmm. um, some people, some things coming. But we can have mm -hmm. this um, conversation around the table with them saying, look, okay. These are how we feel as corporates. And this is what we, you know, we've discussed this with our members. This is what we, this is the way that we see it happening. Because of course, you know, the agencies and the production companies and the venues, they just see their event. They want, of course, they want that event to happen. You've got a community of people mm -hmm. and a corporation that is, you know, managing risk and brand you know, mm -hmm. so there's a lot of chances there in putting these events back on. So it's it's a manage. You know, you've got all that to manage, um, and so this is what you need to make sure we're comfortable and safe with in delivering that. So we're going to have some stuff that we're looking for. And we want to share that and discuss that in an open forum with the supply chain. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Yeah, yeah, that piece working with that piece speaking to agencies and suppliers is very, very, very important to us because mm -hmm. um, we can what what we might think is incredibly important on an assumption that they're doing is most likely very, very different than that's actually what's happening as well. Um, and a lot of a lot of venues will have been speaking about getting back to live literally from the day that we stopped. Um, so there's there's a lot of teams on site. Now, like we said earlier, a lot of our time has been spent going through these amazing documents and working out what people are actually doing. Um, and some venues are doing an amazing job. Some venues are really, really doing an amazing job already. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's encouraging, I think, you know, to hear that 
hotels are going to open again from the 4th of July. I mean, that's a lot of the big five-star London hotels, mm -hmm. I think is really uh, um, encouraging. Yeah, it's that start for tourism, isn't it? People being able mm. to, um, to start to travel and to stay overnight in places and the business people, you know, certain places are already open, but mm -hmm. it's these gatherings of people at yeah. the moment is still, you know, okay, yes, you can have a wedding now, but it's 10 people outdoors. Yeah. It wouldn't have been very good this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Uh, but if, look, you know what? If in a few weeks' time I can book myself into the Barclay and have those nice sheets and that... <laughs> You'll have a no room service mine, that's for sure. I'll <laughs> oh, we'll plug there for the Barclay, one of your favourites. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so then just to wrap up then, uh, we have a working timeline, everybody, that we're working to, uh, which is the end of next week to be able to get something as a draft document to the membership to then have a webinar the following week with that to discuss that, um, agree, and take any input from members and then be able to have a cross-industry discussion on the week of the 29th, um, which basically will take any feedback, any input, and then sort of wrap up that document, which we roll out um, the following week as, as our guidelines. Right. Is that about, sounds about right? Yeah. Quite a bit, because yep, it's, it's going to be constantly evolving as well as changes when... Yeah. Uh, as and when we know government guidelines so it's all presumably you know in the fantasies to sort of say well subject to government guidelines yeah of course and just keeping our finger on the pulse i think as well and listening to suppliers and listening to each other what we're hearing what corporates are doing um just to try and stay on top of everything and as things move and evolve yeah as i said so that's you know we can we, we have to take stick a stick in the ground and start things moving and thinking about this and not waiting for the government guidelines to come out because then it's too late to do anything we need to start making some assumptions and um move forward yeah okay guys i'm gonna now wrap up this meeting we really hope you enjoyed those talks and if so please rate us on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts from to see what the next discussions are, please go to mustbeonit.com and click on Talks in the menu bar. To contact MiceBook, please email us at info at or follow us on Instagram and Twitter.